Morning, church. Um, and how good it is to sing a song like that that, that just really affirms again uh, God's power, His majesty, His control over all as we you know, had this discussion and this consideration of coronavirus and, and what it all is to, to remember again and, and to affirm in such a way that God is our hope, um, no matter what, what happens through that all. Um, though I did sit there thinking it's ironic we have a cruise ship on the screen as we talk about all that. Anyway, um, Jonathan, are you there? Can you rack up my PowerPoint? That would be awesome. Or, yeah, cool. Let's go. Um, well, I wonder, have you ever, have you ever wanted to be a part of a particular group? You know, and, and so much so that you would do, uh, you'd be willing to do whatever it takes for you to, to get into it. Uh, like I remember during high school, for instance, I hung out with a group of more alternative people. Um, it would have been great if I uh, had a bit more time and I found the photo of our formal where, you know, there was a blue safari suit and there was a kilt and there were, uh, like, just, you know, I was the kilt, by the way. But um, <laughs> So I hung out with this group of more alternative people and I was and still solidly am uh, just a straighty 180 kind of a guy. And and this group, they listen to all sorts of indie grunge bands, that, uh, the names of which I don't even remember now. Most, most No one would be Nirvana, if you remember them from uh, in the 90s. And so, because they listened to this music, so did I. Um, or in my music class, there were a bunch of metalheads. And uh, and so Metallica was the, was the band of choice. And I am very far from being a metalhead. Um, very far. But I then listened to these bands and to this music to be part of the group. Uh, and then once I finished high school and didn't see these people again, I don't think I listened to any of this music ever again. Now, high school might be a very classic environment for, the, for this thing of doing whatever we can to, to fit in with a particular group, uh, to be part of a particular crowd, but it can happen more generally too. For you to get the job you want in the organization that you've always dreamed of working for, there's this application and selection process that, that you need to work through and you need to present yourself in all the right ways so that you can potentially get that job. For you to change nationality, to adopt a new country as your home and to be in that group, there's this process for you to go through and require requirements to be met for you to change your citizenship. There are all sorts of rules and requirements of what it takes to, to be in. Some of them are hidden, some of them are obvious. It might be who you know, how much you pay, what clothes you wear, the length of time that you've already served, how many followers you have on Instagram. It might be about having a certain level of expertise and knowledge. Even to be a member of this church, there are certain things that need to be done first before then that role and that responsibility is given. So how then do we get to be in the kingdom of God? If if they if in all these groups and stuff that, that we want to be a part of, there's there's process to go through, how do we get to be in the kingdom of God? We're in the Gospel of Mark at the moment, and in Jesus' first words in this account of his life, he says that the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And as we've continued on through this, we've seen the kind of king that Jesus is. 
And we've had at least hints of what, uh, if not outright demonstrations, of what it would be like to live in his kingdom, of what life in his kingdom is about. So how do we get in? How do we get to be a part of his kingdom? And a reasonable follow-up question might be, why would we want to be a part of the kingdom of God? I mean, we kind of work from the assumption here that, that yeah, of course you'd, you'd want to be. I mean, after all, the, the people were flocking to Jesus. They, they wanted what he had and, and what he was selling, but, but not everyone was on board with him. So what was it about this kingdom that Jesus was you know, promoting and inaugurating? What was it about this kingdom that had appeal? Well, from what we've seen in the book of Mark already, and from what we know of the rest of the New Testament witness, we see that life in God's kingdom is life that is lived under a good authority, with freedom, and that offers rest to us. As to live life in a way, in a place where there is justice and righteousness, where there's shalom, this peace and flourishing and wholeness, where we all have dignity and value. To live life in the kingdom is to live life in friendship with God and with him, with God as sovereign and in charge so that we don't have to be. And I think that that last one is key, living life with God in charge so that we don't have to be. I think it's more key than we perhaps might realize. In the book of Judges, for instance, in the Old Testament, it says that in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. And while this might sound like you know, party time, this is, yeah, the kind of thing that we want. What we see from the scriptures is that this did not go well. With no sovereign, everyone was in charge of their own lives and they just did what they wanted. It led to chaos and disorder. It led to injustice and inequity as each pursued their own often short-term gains. It did not go well when everyone was just in charge in their own lives in that way. And we might think that we want to be the ones in charge of our own lives. We might have this attitude of, ain't no one going to tell me what to do. But we know, don't we, when we're honest with ourselves, that we actually, you know, left to ourselves, we actually don't live our lives as well as we might like to. We make dumb decisions. We hurt others. We mess stuff up. Not usually on purpose, sometimes, but, but not usually on purpose, but, but we do. And then we live with this stress and this pressure of having to figure it all out for ourselves. And that can further mess things up. It's like playing a sport. Imagine if um, someone decided that they were just going to do as they saw fit. You know, in that time, sport had no umpires and everyone played the game their own way. How's that going to go? If everyone just, if someone goes on, on the sporting field to play the game by their own rules, if they're going to live by their own authority there and, and do as they see fit, well then they are soon going to be kicked off the field, if not the team. Or it's like playing music. I could do what I want when I play music. I, I could pick up a guitar and I could strum, uh, whatever chord shape or, or, uh, in whatever place that, that I like but it's not going to sound any good. And if it does, it's by pure chance, by, by random accident. Instead, I can 
submit myself, I can come under the, the authority, the, the rules of music theory and, and follow that. And now as I play music as it should be played, it's, it's musical. There, there's melody and harmony and structure and flow and it's consistently in the same key and it's, it's pleasant and enjoyable to listen to. And if it's not, that's more about my playing than about, you know, music itself. To live in the kingdom of God is to play the music right. It's to live recognizing that God is the one in charge and so I don't have to be. And so then, as a result of that, I can experience the beauty and the fulfillment and the satisfaction. I can experience the melody and the harmony, that I can experience the shalom and the fullness that then comes from living in such a way. To live in the kingdom of God is to play the music right. So how do you get to be in this kingdom? Well, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. That's where we're going to spend our time together today. We'll be in a few different bits of it, but but Mark chapter 10, and we'll start at verse 17. And it says there, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and he fell on his knees before him. And he asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this man has come to Jesus and he's asking the same question that we are asking today. He asks about eternal life, this this life that is possible only in God's kingdom. Where, where God has conquered Satan, sin and death and where we live in the fullness of, of shalom and, and of what it is to live with life with God. So he's using a different terminology, but he's asking the same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get into the kingdom of God? And so Jesus responds to him in what follows by telling him to, to keep the commandments. In other words, to live by the rules of the kingdom. To which he responds to say, I've already been doing that. And this is interesting because he, he's recognizing here that, that even living as a good and moral person still, you know, prompts the question about how to get in. That there's still this recognition that, that it's not enough. And so Jesus responds to him in verse 21. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he said, one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, Jesus is not saying here, you know, how do we get into the kingdom of God? He's not saying here that we need to, you know, sell everything we have and enter into voluntary poverty. But what he is saying to the man is that he needs to come with empty hands and with a trusting heart. I wonder, do you know how to trap a monkey? Uh, I can't say authoritatively that I know how to because I've never had cause to do it and I suspect you haven't either. But what I hear is, that the idea of how you how you trap a monkey is that you get a box or, or something that then just has a, a small hole in it. And then you put food into the box. You put, you know, fruit and nuts and, and whatever else that, that monkeys might go for. And so then the monkey comes and he puts his hand into the hole to, to grab the food. But then he can't get his hand out because of his fist that, that's holding onto the food. It, it no longer 
fits out of the hole. For him to get his hand out again, needs to open his hand to, to fit back out. But while ever he's holding on to his stuff, he can't get out. And it's kind of like what's going on with this rich man. He's holding on to his wealth. And so he goes away sad. And then we read in verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, gee, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, far out, who can then be saved? This man came asking how he could get into the kingdom of God and he walks away unable to. And Jesus likens his inability uh, to being like threading a, a, a camel through a needle. Now, any of one who goes along to Crafty Creations, you can tell me how hard it is to even just to get a normal thread through a normal needle, let alone getting you know this huge camel trying to get through this small hole. Jesus says, is that impossible? And so the disciples rightly ask, well, then who then can be saved? If the rich, you know, those who seem to have the blessing and the favor of God on them, and if those who are moral, who live by the Ten Commandments and do all those kind of right things, if they can't get in, then who on earth can? And by implication, there's also this question about what hope do I have? So verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So with that as background, let's jump back to what is actually our text for today, to the story that happens just before this one. We're going to look now in in Mark 10 from verse 13. Looking at this question about, how, how do I get to be in the kingdom of God? And we've seen this rich man fail to enter in. So let's look at what happens here then. Verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. These are words that I've read probably just about every child dedication that I've taken. And I think they're actually really powerful words because here is Jesus Here is Jesus, the man who calms a raging storm with his words. Here is Jesus who stands as one man before a guy who is possessed by a legion of demons who can break iron with his bare hands and Jesus stands fearlessly before him and faces him down. Here is Jesus who walks on water 
Here is Jesus who raises the dead back to life. Here is Jesus, the victorious king of an unshakable kingdom, and he bends down to scoop child after child into his arms, to welcome them into his embrace, and for him to bless them. And I just, every time, I just think, wow. And Jesus' response to children here stands in such a stark contrast to the disciples. They are trying to keep the kids away from Jesus to the point where they're rebuking the parents. And the word used here for rebuke is, uh, is not just getting grumpy at them, but it's used of you know, exorcisms. It's used of forcefully correcting opponents of God's will. They were not being gentle. So picture the scene. Here's this mum holding her baby. Or here's a dad leading his infant by the hand. And they're bringing them to Jesus. They want, they want their children to see, maybe even touch, at least get close to this this good man, this great man, this amazing man. And the disciples are taking up this defensive barrier around him. And they are forcefully and aggressively stopping anyone from getting close to him. Telling them off for daring to waste this great man's time, interrupting him with their kids of all things. It's a sad scene. And Jesus, seeing it, is rightly indignant. It's a word not often used in Mark, but it's used here. Jesus is indignant. He is roused to anger at his disciples about their, their attitude. And when we put this into its larger context, again, it makes sense. See, in the middle of chapter 9, if you want to look back, Mark chapter 9, verse 35 Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and he said to them, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and must be the servant of all. And then he took a child whom he placed among them. And taking this child into his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name, they welcome me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So the disciples have been arguing about who is the greatest among them and Jesus has to correct their pretensions of grandeur. He tells them that, that instead of you know jostling for, for greatness, instead of trying to put themselves forward, that they instead need to pursue humility and service to be last rather than first. And he illustrates that for them by putting a child into their midst. Now children in, in that day... Well, they were not necessarily the lowest of the low, but they were pretty close. They had an inferior status. and They were without rights and, and privileges under Jewish law. They were the least of these. They were last. And Jesus holds up such a child to the disciples as an example of what they need to be like. And he explicitly tells them that as they welcome a child... They are welcoming him. So these parents come with their child in hand, bringing them to Jesus, 
And instead of welcoming the children, the disciples send them away. They do the exact opposite of what Jesus has just talked about. And so Jesus gives them a serve. I mean, they're, they're rebuking the, the parents, but I'd actually hate to be on the receiving end of what they got from, from Jesus in that moment. Because while the disciples may not, Jesus welcomes children. To, G- to Jesus, children are affirmed and included, uplifted and valued. One of the commentaries I read said, said this. Oh, there's a picture of kids. Um, one of the commentaries I read said this. We will, one will search Jewish and early Christian literature in vain for sympathy towards the young that is comparable to that shown by Jesus. He had such a different attitude towards kids in this welcome and embrace. And that's why as a church, for us here, we have such an emphasis on kids' church and on our next-gen ministry. A significant portion of our church budget and staff time and, and volunteer resource goes into this area. And we're not doing it because we know that this is a good product that will bring church consumers in. We're not doing it because... It's good for the parents that they've got babysitting for their kids while they're at church. We do it because it's the overflow of our conviction that Jesus welcomes children and that Jesus desires their friendship just as much as he desires ours. We do it because we want to introduce kids to Jesus too. So coming back though to our question of how do we get into the kingdom of God? Jesus answers it here. Let's read it again, verse 14 of Mark 10. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The emphasis is actually even more. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child has absolutely no hope in the world of ever being able to enter it. Perhaps like getting a camel through the eye of a needle. As best we know, the the rich man did not enter the kingdom because he was holding on tight to his riches. He was trapped by his ties to and his faith in the things of this world. He also wanted to earn his way in. He had come asking, what is it that I must do. And all of that stands in stark contrast to what Jesus says here. Because in answer to the question, how do you get into the kingdom of God? He says, by being like a child. Now, what does that mean? Is that about being all, you know, cute and chubby and, and adorable? Is it about being screaming and demanding and throwing tantrums until you get what you want? Well, nothing is said here about the character or virtues of a child. So so what's implied is actually about their very nature. And and what is the nature of a child? They're helpless. They're weak. They're dependent. In this story, children are not blessed for for their virtues, but they're blessed for what they lack. They come only as they are, small, powerless, without sophistication, as the overlooked and as the dispossessed of society. 
To receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credit, no clout, no claims. A little child has absolutely nothing to bring. And whatever a child receives, he or she receives by grace on the basis of sheer neediness rather than by any merit in him or herself. And as such, Jesus says, they are the ones who receive the kingdom. And the ones who receive it like a little child are the ones who get to enter in. Because notice too that Jesus talks about receiving the kingdom. We don't buy it. We don't achieve it. We don't earn or merit it. All all such efforts are impossible. We simply receive it like a child who comes with open hands and with a trusting heart. We see it with kids, don't we? Christmas, birthdays, what do they expect? How do they come? With open hands, ready to receive with a trusting heart that you're going to provide. So how do we get into the kingdom of God? We get in by grace, by receiving the gift that is found in Jesus, because it's God who makes what is impossible for man possible. So how then do we receive it? By, like these little children, coming to Jesus and coming to him alone. See, on the cross, Jesus stretched out wide his arms, bearing our sin in our place so that then he could welcome us into his embrace and into his kingdom. We come with empty hands ready to receive and we come with a trusting heart, believing that he is enough. A lot of you will know the Short family. They've been part of this church certainly for as long as as long as I've been here, for as long as I know. And a couple of years ago, uh, their son Josh was baptised at our evening service. Um, he was being interviewed by, by Nathan for his testimony, but I don't think he was giving the kind of answers that, that Nathan was looking for, the, the kind of you know, verbal articulation of you know, profound answers of you know, his testimony. that They just weren't coming out. And so in the end, Nathan ended up just asking Josh this question. He said, so Josh, why do you want to be baptised? And I'll never forget Josh's response. It was the most powerful thing I reckon, uh, one of the most powerful things I reckon I've ever heard. Why do you want to be baptized, Josh? And his simple reply was, because I love Jesus. Yep. <laughs> I reckon that'll do it. He came to Jesus like a child, weak, helpless, powerless, dependent, but trusting, loving, and receiving. You know, the the rich man who approached Jesus, he was most likely Jewish. To be honest, he probably thought he already had eternal life. He was already in the kingdom, but he just wanted to check in with this rabbi what, what he thought. Because he came, after all, you know, having kept the commandments, having been blessed materially. He was probably at the synagogue every week and, I don't know, he might have been one of the biggest givers. He he no doubt had respect and honour. He thought that he was in but just wanted to check it out. 
But for all that he was holding on to his riches, he actually walked away from Jesus empty-handed. The children, however, came with empty hands and they walked away with the kingdom. So I wonder then, who are you more like this morning? My concern is that, you know, like the rich man, that you think you're okay, that you think you're in, when really you're still trying to get that camel threaded through that needle. It's an exercise in futility and frustration that, that actually then leads you outside of the kingdom. And so it takes honesty and self-awareness and the work of the Spirit for us to realize this about ourselves, to realize that as we try to hold on to stuff that, that we're, we're losing everything. And for us then to, to change, for us to open our hands and to come to Jesus as that little child, helpless, weak and dependent, needy and entirely vulnerable, but in doing so to come to Jesus in order to be welcomed into his embrace and to receive his blessing upon us. How about we come to this Jesus now in such a way. God, as we come, as we quiet ourselves in this moment to respond to the message that we've heard, God, some of the noises we hear are the noise of children nattering away, playing. And we just thank you for them in our midst. We are blessed to have them. And may we see them, not then, God, as um, little guys running around, you know, that we've got to look out, that we don't trip over or whatever it is. But may we see them as an illustration, as Jesus used them, an illustration to us of what it is like to come to you. May we see them as the example of what you value and treasure and delight in. May we come to you, God, like a child, opening our hands to you, ready to receive with a heart that is trusting in you, knowing that you are enough. And to do so, God, knowing that you stretched out your arms, bearing our sin, taking its consequence and its punishment, dying for us in our place. That we not even could just, you know, then live in such a way that, that is good and moral and upright but that we could live welcomed, embraced, enfolded by you, welcomed into your kingdom. So we thank you again for Jesus, this glorious man who did so much, this God in human flesh who yet humbled himself to love us and embrace us. God, for, for us then, God, who, 
who come to you. And we are asking, what, what must I do to get in? How do I need to contort myself and my life to, to meet the entry requirements to get into the kingdom? God, I pray that you'd work in us to humble us, to help us to let go of all that is holding us back and to instead just come to you. For those of us, God, who, who haven't come to you yet, thinking that we're, we're not good enough, we're not worthy, we, we haven't achieved enough yet, may we come to you like a child without any merit of our own but just our need knowing that you'll respond and provide and fill us up. And as then your children, God, may we come not viewing you as you know, this harsh taskmaster who must please and impress, not as a boss whose favour we have to earn, not as someone who you know, at any time could turn on us. But may we come to you as your loved children coming into the embrace of our Father. And may we live with this absolute security and knowledge of that. And knowing it, God, may you change us. We pray, God, that as we've heard your word this morning, as your people, that your spirit applies it to us to make us more like your son. And so we Submit ourselves to that, to you as our good King, in Jesus' name. Amen.